Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So Brendan O'Connor, who's the GRA president, was like, "I heard you outside talking to the media saying that your gang is bigger than their gang." Well, our gang is bigger than your gang, is what he said to him, to a lot of woohays uh, from the guards in attendance. Hello, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by news correspondent Zara King. Hello, Sorry, hello, how are you? And joined remotely uh, from the wild Atlantic west of Ireland by news correspondent Richard Chambers. Richard, for those watching on television, tell them exactly what lovely flower bed you're standing in front of this <laughs> afternoon. Um, we've moved from the flower bed on uh, instruction of our cameraman, Alvaro, and now we're in the sort of the the wedding photos sort of venue at the Castle Court <laughs> Hotel in Westport. Um, you'll see a nice floral arrangement on that chair behind us, which would be lovely uh, in a framed photograph. Um, and it probably adds a nice, um, a nice, uh, yeah, a nice seasonal springtime sort of uh, flavour to our to our podcast this afternoon. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, we're here picturesque. for the, the guard representative. Thank you. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. So we're trying to just maximise, you know, the loveliness of it all, because what we talk about here at the, the GRA conference can be quite grim at times. So mm. that's kind of what we're gone for. We've gone to, to try and lift things, a little, add pastel colours to the, to the whole mix here. Uh, well, let, let's just dive straight into then what you are doing at the GRA conference, because as it happens, it's a week where there's a lot of different policing and sort of guard adjacent issues. Um, let's first of all talk about a fairly bizarre soundbite that Drew Harris gave to you at a press conference there on Tuesday afternoon. Um, my gang is bigger than your gang. Uh, first of all, you might just deconstruct or give us the deep dive into how that came about. So, yeah, so Drew Harris, as, as always happens at the Garda, the, the, the sort of the representative groups, the unions, basically, the Garda unions. So there's the GRA, which is this one, which is the rank and file Garda, Garda out in the beat. There's the AGSI as well, which is more uh, sergeants and inspectors and above, the sort of the middle management ranking of Garda. So both of them have annual conferences every year. Drew Harris, the Garda commissioner, will come down, sort of hear their concerns. You might have heard previously about these sort of rostering dispute, low morale, all these sort of things. So he'll often, he'll give a speech to the delegates, but as well as that, there's always an opportunity for the media to get a rare uh, chance, really, to sort of put questions to the Garda Commissioner. So we did that. And obviously in light of everything that happened last week with the Hutch verdict at the Special Criminal Court, there was a lot to talk about. And we'll talk about the GSOC fallout about that as well, which is kind of the strangest bookend you could possibly have to a huge crime story. Uh, but of course, Jerry the Monk Hutch was acquitted of involvement in uh, the Regency Hotel shooting. A lot of question marks. We alluded to some of them last week as to, you know, why the state pursued the charges that it did. I asked Drew Harris if it was embarrassing, if it was embarrassing for Angarda Siakana uh, really to have Jerry the Monk Hutch walk free from court after uh, the judge, um, Miss Justice Tara Burns, effectively eviscerated the state's case and mm. the selection of the mm. charges that were selected, that he was actually there at the Regency Hotel and was one of the people who effectively fired the shots there. Um, and that was, um, it was found in the Special Criminal Court that, that was not the case, that he was not placed there. And Miss Justice Tara Burns effectively said, well, look, you could have gone after other charges. So 
With that in mind, the Gardaí recommend charges to the DPP who puts them then into the, effectively into court. I asked if it was embarrassing. He said it was a setback um, that this happened. And he sort of said that, well, we're not going to give up on our investigations and our pursuit of organised crime groups or OCGs. And with in particular reference to the Hutches and to the Kinahans, he basically said, well, look, his message to them was my gang is bigger than their gang. Um, and that, you know, we're going to keep plugging away at this was his uh, final line on that one. It's such a strange such thing, a bizarre to, say. thing do, to say. I can tell you for sure. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. it was such a, like, there was such a weird response to it, even from, you know, because obviously there's loads of rank and file guardy who are here at this conference. They thought it was a strange thing to say. Some middle management, some senior management in guardy around Phoenix Park as well, who I, were ta- I was talking to, they were a little bit, oof, didn't expect that either. It's a bit flippant. It's a bit of a strange one, one that can be twisted. It actually was twisted almost straight away, because as soon as Drew Harris finished saying that, he went inside to the, uh, the conference where he had to listen to the GRA president give his speech about, you know, you know, the fact that they're very disillusioned under guard management as it stands. So Brendan O'Connor, who's the GRA president, was like, I heard you outside talking to the media saying that your gang is bigger than their gang. Well, our gang is bigger than your gang, is what he said to him, to a lot of woohays uh, from the guards uh, in attendance. So, I mean, you've never seen quite such a quick turnaround and um, backlash to a sort of a, an errant quote from, from somebody in that yeah. sort of position. It was kind of mad to watch. It's just, I feel like using the word gang to describe on Garthi Shukon is probably suboptimal, to say the least. I mean, and really, do you want to be at a point where you're sort of like aligning yourself to as if there's a war, like, you know, the guards just shouldn't be even sort of stooping to the level of, of being in a, in a gang versus gang yeah, situation with organised criminals. It's just you really weird. Be getting into. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange choice of words. Um, just in relation to that, um, GSOC party attendance uh, debacle, Richard, I mean, what actually happened there? I mean, I even reading that story myself, I sort of gasped and went, how did this happen? I think this is one of those stories. And like, like it's one of those things, if you saw this play out in... <laughs> line of duty or something like yeah. that you'd be like ah that's what it felt no, like though didn't it that's exactly that's, what that's it felt unrealistic. like that's yeah. unrealistic this is unrealistic this couldn't happen so what happened was um gsoc we you'll often hear that 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 term used in the news it's the guard ombudsman commission so they are the guard watchdog they investigate any incidents involving members of Angarda shia so a senior investigator with gsoc uh Allegedly, well, he did actually. He said he, he told colleagues mm. in GSOC that he was at a party attended by Jerry the Monk Hodge on the day that he walked free from the CCJ, uh, acquitted of the Regency Hotel shooting. Now, obviously, obviously, this raised eyebrows uh, amongst the people that he did tell. They reported that the GSOC, GSOC were like, oh. Uh, what do we do about this? This all got out there. It hit the headlines. Everybody went, oh my God, what a panic. What, what the hell is going on here? So they had to do a report for the Justice Minister Simon Harris. But now because there are such, you know, sensitive matters which are associated mm. with the Guard Ombudsman Commission. So yeah. effectively, you know, investigators with GSOC will have access to things like Pulse, which is the Guard database. Um, they will have been involved in investigations involving gangland crime. So for what's happened here today and what's been confirmed today, is that Gardaí have now spoken to that man, that, that senior investigator with GSOC, or I should say former uh, senior investigator with GSOC, because he retired after this controversy uh, effectively erupted. Uh, and there was a bit of a concern that he might leave the country, so Gardaí had to move quickly, because now they're investigating it to see if there's any criminal links to why he was attending that party with Jerry Hutch and other members of the Hutch family. So a lot of concern about this. He's cooperated fully now with the Guardian at this point. He's been formally interviewed. It's not a criminal investigation, but 
they have to you know see all of the links that are potentially there to see if there is any criminal investigation that needs to happen mm. he's effectively told them yep i was at that party it was effectively a coming home party for um Jerry the Munkhutch. Now, the working theory at the moment is that he's a neighbour in the area and a lot of neighbours were there. And it's obviously not a crime to attend a party, but there's a lot of concern, I can tell you here at the GRA, um, about any potential links. Now, all of, obviously this is all, you know, there's nothing been proven along this front or anything like that, but they were concerned that if there was a criminal element to this, if there were links here, well then, what has this investigator or any investigator who might have these links, mm. you know, in terms of guarded data on particular officers who might be involved in that sort of thing and other investigations. So. A mad story, and you know the investigation is going to continue. But whew, it's very, it. it's very Ted Hastings. I feel like it's very line of duty. It just, <laughs> it I mean, it was honestly <laughs> I mean, yeah. just. But and okay, the neighbor theory is an interesting one as well, Richard. I, I actually hadn't heard that myself. Um, Gavin, it's, it's, it is that point that Richard makes, though, isn't it, about the idea of having access to the pulse files, access to the system, isn't it? That's the worry. That's the yeah. concern. And, and this is why it's particularly sensitive when it's it's not even just a member of a Garda Shiacona itself, although I think that the, I've seen in the last couple of days some reporting that there are, in fact, four current members of a Garda Shiacona who are suspended at the moment for fear of them being in some way implicated or involved in mm. the, the workings of the Hutch uh, organised crime gang. But then it's even more sensitive because, well, if you think a Garda has done wrong, then that's investigated by the Garda Ombudsman Commission. And if somebody within the commission potentially has at best some sympathies or even more more worse, and this is something they have to investigate, um, if they are in some way involved with or compromised by mm. an organised crime gang, then the level of infiltration that they have is very significant. And that's why it warrants, as Richard put when he was ascribing GSOC's reaction, that they went... Uh-oh. uh-oh, like uh-oh is, is what you would do because of the gravity of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, briefly, Richard, just on other matters that are, are at the GRA. Um, one thing that I've seen you, you commenting on in the last couple of days while you're there are some of the concerns that the guards have about body cams and but that they want body cams to be available to them, but that, that's not something that everyone's okay with. Yeah, there's a lot of these different elements and you always get these at the Garda conferences as well. So the big political sort of touchstone at the moment is the fact that Garda, and this is the Guard organisation, as well as the unions, uh, the representative groups, they want body cams which have facial recognition technology in them. And this will help them, they say, to you know clamp down on crimes. This will be a huge tool for them. But obviously civil liberty groups and other political you know, opposition politicians say that's it's a bit of a step to have, you know, ordinary body cams ascribed with this sort of technology and the impact that could have in terms of privacy, in terms of, you know, data protection as well, because, you know, we've seen in the past what happens when, you know, state protected data is accessed or, you know, acquired by uh, a hostile power. So that is something which is obviously a big concern. But other things they're looking for as well, they passed motions on these as well, was because of the rise in assaults on Garda members, they want to see tasers equipped to members of Garda Shiakana, leg restraints and spit guards, which of course have been a, a bit of a controversial uh, tool really um, in the UK as well, because they have been used, you know, in instances in UK police forces and in instances which have been described as police brutality. So there's a whole lot of different tools and gadgets which the guards want to use, at least the members here want to use, and they voted on it, which will probably get a lot of pushback. And I think that's something which something is which is worth watching. Like I know the government, mm-hmm. in terms of the facial recognition software on the body cams, that's something the government actually wants to rush through quite quickly. Yeah. So there might need to be a few or a few tougher questions asked about that. I'd say. And also, Richard, there's a whole kind of conversation week happening about the culture within Angarda uh, Shiokona as well. And also, we're seeing those numbers. They're they're citing numbers of people leaving the force as well. And we've talked about this in relation to healthcare 
healthcare gap we've had that conversation about mm. uh, people leaving and even just being able to afford to live in, in major cities and work uh, on the front line for Angarda Siakona is really becoming a logistical difficulty for, for members of Angarda Siakona as well yeah, it is. And I think the, the, the bullying and the harassment and the toxic sort of culture thing is something which is really interesting to look at. Like, obviously, Zara, you worked on, you know, Women of Honour and the yeah. reporting of the Defence Forces. It is very interesting to sort of see from the work that the GRA has done in terms of they've done exit interviews with guards who have left the force in recent mm. months. So they did 22 of these really in-depth interviews with people who have left the force. Think about 100 Gardaí, more than 100 Gardaí like left, quit their jobs in on Garda Síochána over the last 12 months. So um, of these exit interviews, some of the people who left, and they would have left actually a lot of these people within the first couple of years of actually signing up to be a guard. Oh. So that will probably tell you uh, something as well, that this is something which they felt, well, this is something I don't want to be a part of. And some, one person in particular who left the guard said that they felt that this was a very toxic situation, that they felt that they were leaving an abusive relationship. And given that Gardaí actually do work a lot uh, in terms of, you know, domestic violence situations, domestic abuse situations, mm-hmm. using that sort of turn of phrase is not something people use lightly. But this is another problem as well. Drew Harris came here yesterday and he was like, I don't really see much of a problem in terms of culture. I don't see a problem in terms of bullying, which got a very, very... I suppose it was a bit of a spiky yeah, reaction really back from the delegates on, on here. The news they were news like, on, on, the news at 5.30 on Tuesday yeah. where like, there was open heckling which when you consider that the guards are supposed to be a kind of a disciplined force and you generally don't kind of back chat to your superiors the idea that the commissioner was being heckled by his own rank and file was really quite something. Mm. It was mad. It, that was a mad moment because like he came up to the podium to Drew Harris and he was like, I don't recognise your concerns over morale. I don't think you have much of a point here in terms of rostering. And I can't be the only one who compromises on these issues. You guys need to compromise as well. And I just started this ripple from front to back of and boo and ah, come on, commissioner. Uh, it was kind of like, Jesus, like it's, um, it was tough talk. Like as much as he was talking to the, you know, the gangs and my gang is bigger than their gang sort of thing. He had tough talk for members here in GRA as well. And I, like it's, a, it's, it's clearly sort of part of his character and how he does things, how he operates is to be like my way or the highway sort of thing. Um, but it did unsettle people here and then they passed a motion this morning uh, which actually wasn't a motion of no confidence it was a motion of diminished confidence or a motion of some confidence as some of the journalists here have called it uh, that they weren't quite saying well we have no confidence in the Garda Commissioner but we've damaged our confidence in the Commissioner which I suppose it goes to what you're saying Gav is like you know for you know people who are members of Angarda Siakana discipline and loyalty and all that sort of stuff is built into it so even though it isn't a full-on, we have no confidence in you, it does go some way towards that. I suppose especially when we have that conversation about, you know, the Defence Forces are, you know, Angarda Shokan is telling people in the Defence Forces to come forward and report uh, issues of bullying or harassment or particularly sexual assault, that if Angarda Shokan is going to be the ones investigating that and they seem to have their own problems, that does raise a number of questions as well, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely does. And I think that's that's something which, I think it's, it's, it's it, there's, there's a conversation which has been started by Women of Honour and obviously the situation in Women of Honour and the Defence Forces is, you know, it's specific to the Defence Forces. But I think mm. there's a conversation starting now in organisations across the country, whether it be state organisations and agencies or otherwise. Um, there has to be conversations about culture and what culture and the lack of women in leadership roles might actually mean for things. You know, um, I think that there's going to be an examination which is going to take pl- place in a load of organisations as a result of what happened and the women who came forward in Women of Honour uh, and what that will mean then for other organisations going forward. 
Well, the inquest into the Stardust fire has finally begun after four decades of families uh, looking for answers. And I'm joined now by uh, Louise and Selena in studio who lost three of their siblings uh, that night in 1981. Thank you so much for coming in, You're guys. Welcome. We've met Thank so you. many times. Mm-hmm. And nice to introduce you to Gavin because obviously we've met so many times. To- we've met so many times and spoken over the years. Um, you know, when I saw you yesterday morning at the start of all this, because the families gathered at the Garden of Remembrance, um, you know, it was such a bittersweet moment for you. And I, you know, your mom was just arriving in the taxi and, and yeah. Miss McDermott is such a gorgeous lady. And uh, yeah. you can see a photograph of her actually on my Instagram. I posted it yesterday. I've interviewed your mom over the years. Um, so dignified in her grief. Um, but I suppose, look, how did you feel at the start of all this yesterday? It's, it's a moment you've waited for for yeah. so long. Yeah. We're very, um, well, actually, um, yesterday morning we were, we woke up, we were very nervous. Well, we didn't sleep the night before. Yeah. And um, so, and then we were prepare, preparing and, um, but it just, it was very, I felt personally very nervous and but also excited, you know, and um, I was just explaining to Darren Macken. Um, Future solicitor. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. solicitor and uh, the team Phoenix Law that um, they were saying, how are you feeling? But for me um, and a lot of us was when the jury was sworn in on the Monday. That was the when we were walking up Jones's Road mm. and we've seen all the queues of people going in for jury to be selected for jury service. That to us was a, a real um, turning factor for us because it was like this is actually happening. And the jury was sworn in and it was like... Um, God, nobody now can block it. Nobody can change it. It's actually happening. It's underway. Mm-hmm. It's underway. And the ju- once the jury the jury was sworn in, um, it was like, well, this is it. We're on the road. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, so that w- it was sort of, it was, um, it was great then yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, meeting at the Garden of Remembrance. And we were very nervous now and um, that we finally got here after 42 yeah. years. So, um, yeah, it was brilliant. And like I said, ex- excited, weren't we? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to uh, the events of night. In fact, even before we talk about the events of 1981, mm. you both lost three of your siblings mm-hmm. uh, in the fire on Valentine's Day in yeah. 1981. Yeah. Tell us yeah. about them. Well, Willie was the second oldest. Um, so he and he was the oldest boy. So he was 22. And then there was June Willie and then there was Breed. And then there was Jim and then there was George who died, who was 18. Marcella was 16. And then there was myself and Selena. Mm. So they were, Willie was the second oldest and the other, Marcella and George were in the middle. Yeah. Mm. But they were the two that were immediately older than you guys. Yeah. yeah. It must yeah. mean then that, um, and we might come back to, to what the experience was like on the night mm-hmm. and then in the days to follow. But it just must mean then that in your home life that there's such this, this enormous void, that it's a really busy house, that you've got loads of siblings. You guys have three older um, siblings and they're just not there. It was like, yeah. it was like you say, you go to bed on that Friday night and you wake up and half your family's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like mm-hmm. a, a silence because we're a family who uh, love our music. All of us do. Um, big into our, the ga, the football. The house was always busy um, and it was just kind of like gone. And mm-hmm. our older two sisters, Breed and June, they had married. They, so they, they had moved out. They had their own homes. So for myself and Selena, we're left in the house on our own, mm-hmm. obviously with our mother and father. But that was like a shock it because just, it really underlines yeah. the under, when you're, there you're was having such a busy house. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was like there was one room empty. 
And what was the age know? gap between your sister and, and you guys, Marcella? She was 16. She was 16. Yeah. I was 13 at the time. And yeah. I was 11. You were 11. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, your mom was saying that night that she obviously knew the two boys had gone. Now, just to remind people as well, because I think, you know, it was Friday the 13th um, mm-hmm. of February. It was sort of the Valentine's big night at the Stardust mm-hmm. and everyone was going because there was a dance competition on and it was the place to be that night, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, there was huge excitement mm-hmm. and everyone was kind of begging mom and dad, can I go, can I go? And I mean, that was the buzz. And your mum didn't actually know that Marcella had gone, did she? No, she um, she knew that um, George and Willie were going. Willie decided at the, at the last minute to go to Stardust. And uh, my mother said, God, but you never really go to the Stardust. Mm. And I goes, oh, no, he said, I've changed my mind, I'm going to go. And then um, George, um, she knew was going and he bought, he got a new, she got, actually got him a new shirt and um, he had a date Aww. with a girl at the Stardust. And um, so he was all excited. And then Marcella um, told my mother that she was going babysitting. And um, but I knew she wasn't going babysitting. She told me that she was going to Stardust and not not to tell Ma. Yeah. So I had her, uh, which I did a few times for hid her clothes in a little bag and I put them in the alley. So she was able to sneak out and um, say goodbye to my mum that she was off babysitting, but she wasn't. She was actually going to start with her pals. Yeah. You know, so on the night then that um, more or less when all hell broke loose and my mother and father um, heard that the fire, there was a fire in the Stardust. Um, I was in my sister's house, June, the eldest, Mm. and she lived two doors um, up from the family home. Mm. And when they came in and they just, it was, it was, crazy. They just said, we have to go up to the Stardust. Willie is there. George is there. And then I had to tell them that, um, no, Marcella is also there. So, yeah. What's, what's really striking about the, the way that which you've remembered that is you would think that, oh, your, your brother getting a new shirt because he's going out on a date. Mm. Yeah. It should be the sort of thing which is like the, the news of the house for a few hours mm. and he goes out and he has the date. And he gets and he a bit of a roast. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Going, yeah. Yeah. And then your life moves on. And yet mm. it's such a, a simple thing by which that that's like the, the last thing that you remember of your brother is he was going out for a date and he had his new shirt. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the little things like that are then how he's immortalised for you because and, yeah. and he actually um, um, it it was only uh, what, well it was a few years after that um, my mother um, was telling us that when George was getting ready to go out and um, my father was on night had been on night duty and he had come in from work and he wanted George to run up to eat more um, chipper just to get a fish and chips. <laughs> and George, of course, didn't want to go. Mm. He said, yeah. oh, fuck off, Dad, you know, like I'm getting ready to go yeah. to Stardust. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, and my mum was sort of like, oh, just keep, just keep the peace, you know. Yeah. Keep the peace, run up and get him his fish and chips. And so he had run up to eat more chipper and then came back down and then um, he was effing and blind and seeing me, man, that me pecking out for like, you know, like, you know, delaying me going, delay out. Me yeah, going out and meeting yeah, yeah. pals. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, that, but that was the last conversation that like that my mother had. had. Yeah. Yeah, mm, that he was given yeah. out. Mm. Look, the pen portraits that have started in the inquest, um, in so many ways, they're 
actually a gorgeous way to get an insight into the individuals mm-hmm. who've died 48 people's lives lost and the families are having a chance to commemorate. They're also um, really hard to listen to in terms of, you know, the seven days, particularly after the fire and how that unfolded. And um, what comes through is the not knowing for a lot of families. And, mm-hmm. and you were in that similar situation in the sense that, um you know, it was Sunday before you really knew what had happened, first of all, and then it unfolded. Maybe you just might take us through the sort of the seven days after and and just what it was like for you at that time, because so many of our listeners weren't even born back then. This is 42 yeah, years yeah. ago, you know. It was like, I always remember the waiting. We always had, we have that Saturday it was just horrific. And then it went into the Sunday and I remember our house was packed, like all our relatives, people in, and we knew people were searching we we didn't know where they still alive. We were hoping they were still alive. We didn't know where they in the where they in the hospital. Where they in a morgue? Nobody knew. So um, my older sister and her husband and my late uncle Ian they they were travel going around looking, finding to see could had anyone any news. And I always remember the Sunday. It was late Sunday evening, and I remember sitting in the sitting room. And people coming in and out of the kitchen, and I remember the hair. My uncle going in and going. We found Willie. Mm. And we thought, yeah. stupidly, oh, my God, he's alive. Mm. You know, we thought, oh, my God, he, he's, he's there. And I remember running out to the hall going, he's, he's alive. And the mum said, no, like, he's not. And holding us saying, he's gone. And then we knew then the other two weren't coming back. Because if, if Willie, Willie got out a few mm. times, but he went back. He kept they going back in to see, could he get, get the others and George sell it. But... Um, he didn't he didn't make it either. And Willie was actually perfect. Like he 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 only had a scratch on him. Oh, my God. So he he died of the fumes, you know, so we know that. And then obviously when my father was a fireman and he knew then he said the others aren't coming home. He knew. Yeah, he knew. They yeah. were gone. Like so then we had to wait then the next few days to find the others. And then when they eventually did, it was like it was horrendous because we knew for final, it was it, that was the end. They were gone, mm-hmm. but yet then the waiting was over. Mm. Yeah, you know, and the waiting for answers continues mm. though, and it has been yeah. four decades of mm-hmm. that, yeah. and you still mm-hmm. don't really know how or why or what caused the fire. You still don't have that clarity, and obviously, it's hoped that this inquest will be a fact-finding mission, mm-hmm. and that you will get to the bottom of that. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, your mom, Mrs. McDermott, she's just yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Resilient mm-hmm. and so dignified in all of this, isn't she? She's into Very her eighties so. now, and she yeah, is. She is yeah. She's determined to come to the inquest for a good few of the days, isn't she? She mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's always been like that. She's always yeah, been she's, quietly yeah. dignified, but yet if she's something to say, she'll say it. Yeah. Very yeah. rarely, but yeah. when she does, she will say it. You know, and she's mm-hmm. she's ready. She's ready herself to stand up and and say what she wants to say. Yeah. And are you angry about what's happened? Um. Yes. Um. Mm-hmm. I would be, I'm, I'm angry at the fact that um, uh, what all the families had had to go through up to now mm. and um, angry, I suppose, the fact that um, how our lives um, had changed from the very time the stardust happened. So we all, and it's, and that ripple effect went through all the families of the 48 and uh, the survivors as well. So, uh, what they have to had to go through, still going through, and there was no help. So I would, I'd be angry about that, wouldn't we? Yeah, you know, yeah. and, like, and having to wait so long and fight. Yeah. I think 
all the fighting we had to do, protesting, mm. campaigning mm. again and again, and then being promised every time we got somewhere that, yeah, this is going to happen. And then something else again would drag it down or no, we're not doing this. And fighting was the worst after 42 years, and I'm conscious that this might not be a question that you've got an easy answer to, but having waited so long, what would justice look like to you? What would amount to justice mm. for you? A massive relief. It would be a massive, mm-hmm. massive weight off. Mm-hmm. Would, the, the, I would think the uh, weight of the grief on all the families would lift. Um, mm. It's not going to bring them back. Um God, we know that now, you know, it's they're gone and it's not going to bring them back. But it's it's just the fact that nobody was ever made accountable mm. and that um, nobody then would listen and then nobody would give us answers. And so for us to get some sort of accountability to their deaths, even to have a proper coroner's report, uh, which we don't have one for George William Rosella, that alone is against the law of the state. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's incredibly unfair what happened to all the families. And um, yeah, and I suppose then when the big one was probable arson was um, ruled out. Mm-hmm. And that when that was ruled out, um, we said, OK, that's that's here we go. We're, we're definitely going to get the inquest now. They have to. But um, yet again, that was blocked. And they, um, they said uh, there wasn't enough evidence there to warrant um, a new inquest. So I always said it was it was giving us one thing on one hand and again taking it back in another, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So the fight then had to continue, yeah. So so to to get some sort of well, we will get um, justice at the end of this, please God. And yeah. the truth, yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, there's been a huge discussion around um, Niall Collins this week, uh, over the last more than this week, Gavin. Mm. Um, What exactly, first of all, just to bring us up to speed, is exactly happening with this? Uh, Where we are right now at the time of recording, so this is going out on TV on Wednesday night and the audio podcast on Thursday morning. At some point on Thursday, Niall Collins will be making a statement in the Dáil and he will be asked to account for his actions in whatever role he might have had in Limerick County Council coming to sell off some land in Mm -hmm. 2007 and 2008. And the reason why this has drawn some controversy is that at the point at which the council began to sell off this land, the point point at which it appointed an estate agent and got the ball rolling, uh, Niall Collins' wife had expressed an interest to the council in buying the land. Mm -hmm. And the question really is whether it was appropriate for Niall Collins to have been a participant in any council meetings or whether he may have played any active role 
in the process of the council coming off to sell the land, knowing that his wife had expressed an interest. And his wife is a GP and it was thought that maybe it would be to build a medical centre. Yes, so in in December 2006, Niall Collins' wife, through a solicitor, wrote to the council and said, would you have any interest in selling off this land because I'm a GP? Uh, Patrick's Well could use a GP surgery, but this is a grassland site. There is no GP right Mm -hmm. now. And I would be interested in developing a GP surgery on this site. So would you consider selling it? Now, the council doesn't have the authority to sell land without the councillors ultimately giving their agreement. So there was a meeting the following month at which council officials went to the councillors in the, the local electoral area of Brough, where Nog Collins was one, mm-hmm. and said, uh, we've had a few in- inquiries about selling off this land. Would you be all right if we went about selling this land? And Nog Collins is recorded as having attended the meeting, not having said anything or cast any explicit vote, but having been present and not recused himself when councillors were asked to give their blessing to get the ball rolling. Now, What's important to state is that it took about a year and a half for the sale to completely go through. And when councillors were asked to give their final approval to this whole process in September 2008, Niall Collins was no longer there. He mm-hmm. got elected to the Dáil in May of 2007, so he was no longer a member of the council at that point. But there have been questions raised, and this was all triggered by reporting last week by the news website The Ditch, as to whether it was appropriate or even, in some instances, whether there might have been a law broken by Nile Collins being involved in this process if it was seen to be granting some kind of material benefit to his wife or if he and his wife had what is called in law, and bear with me, a pecuniary interest, basically a, a monetary or financial interest in the matters that were before them. Um, at, at best, it may have been immoral and at worst, some questions have been raised as to whether, in fact, laws may have been broken in the course of uh, this land being sold while Niall Collins was a member of the council. Okay, so this appeared on the ditch, as you mentioned, and it wasn't being picked up by other media outlets. And this is something that has come up, obviously, uh, particularly on Twitter.com over the last couple of uh, days as Mm. to why the mainstream media was not covering this story. Now, I do think um, both of you can get into the weeds of this because uh, both you're much more active on Twitter.com than me. (laughs) Um, But I suppose, look, why, what are the challenges that, that, journalists face in terms of, you know, fact checking, sourcing and ensuring that you have the right information to bring a story like this to air? Yeah, well, I suppose that the first thing to say when from the very get go is that when you see a story being reported by another outlet, you always want to do as best you can to make mm. sure you can stand it up for yourself. That we're not generally in the business of just taking what other people say as gospel. You always try to establish the facts for yourself. And that's particularly true in an instance like this, where although the website has a very good track record of breaking stories about planning issues involving TDs and has claimed two ministerial scalps and they absolutely deserve to be taken seriously, the the thrust of the story, as it was um, first reported by The Ditch, was that Niall Collins may have broken the law. And if you're going to accuse somebody who is entitled to their good name of having broken the law, you really have to be absolutely sure that you've got enough evidence at your disposal that you're prepared to say that yourself. Because if you're not, and it turns out that somebody hasn't broken the law, then you're impugning their good name and there's a risk of a defamation involved and they could come pursuing you for repeating something that you're not prepared to stand over. Exactly. And just to be clear for anyone who has any confusion around this, that that would mean that you're not just saying your only source is some other outlet. You have to have that information to hand yourself as a journalist to actually be able to say, right, I can see this as fact and I can report it. And moreover, and this is probably a point that that in fairness, a lot of people who don't work in the media Mm. may not have understood. And this is a very technical, but a very important one. If something may be defamatory, then you are yourself being defamatory by pointing people to it. So if I say there is a piece on the ditch which raises significant allegations that Niall Collins may have broken the law, if if I have reason to believe it may be defamatory, then I am compounding the problem. Because if that article is an unfair attack on his good name, 
I'm repeating the attack. I'm drawing attention to it. I am telling people who may not have seen it otherwise where they can read these allegations. And if I can't stand over the allegations, Mm. then I'm repeating the whole thing. And that basically means that although it seems very anachronistic in this day and age, because anyone could see the link on Twitter or retweet the link or point you to the link and go, why aren't you talking about this? Until such time as other outlets are actually confident about the facts of the story, we can't even acknowledge its existence, which is which is really weird. But we can't even acknowledge or or justify or even acknowledge that this story is there for fear of pointing people towards something that may in itself be defamatory. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, what do you do? Like like any journalist, you go and try and establish the facts for yourself. But that was made very difficult in this instance because you would either need Niall Collins to offer you a statement and he was approached multiple times over the last couple of days. I approached him to, or my, my producer on radio approached him to come on radio at the weekend. Yeah. No, no answer. Um, any queries were understand stonewalled by ourselves and others. Limerick County Council, Limerick City and County Council as it now is, uh, wouldn't respond to any queries, couldn't offer any, any uh, reply to queries. And when you ask for the records of council meetings, which might have been able to say in black and white what exactly had gone on, the council was unable or unwilling to supply them. They said you'd need to put in a freedom of information request which is fine, but a freedom of information request routinely can take four weeks to reply to. Mm-hmm. So if you put in the request last Wednesday when the report first came out, you'd be waiting another three weeks for the details to come back. So you're you're in this kind of legal logjam where if you say anything about the story, you could be compounding a defamation. But if you, in the meantime, try to deconstruct the story or rubbish it or say that there's good reason to, to doubt it in some way, you could be impugning the journalist who wrote it and they're entitled mm-hmm. to their good name as well. So you're stuck. There's this middle ground where you can neither say anything that that vindicates it nor say anything that undermines it. You can say nothing. And that leads to this position then where you have people on Twitter wondering, why can't you say anything at all? The reason why you can't say anything, the reason why you can't even acknowledge it, it's not because there's a conspiracy to bury it. And there was a worrying number of people who thought that there was a sector-wide conspiracy to bury this story for fear that it might damage the government. Not the case. We merely couldn't talk about it because you're stuck in this legal stalemate where you're damned if you did. And you're damned if you didn't. And Richard, that is it, isn't it? I mean, that's the importance of good journalism is having your sources and having your facts and having, you know, things be watertight before you, you put your name to it and you publish it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and the guys in the ditch have done an incredible job, really, in terms of, you know, their previous investigations into particularly planning matters involving politicians who are members of the government. So it isn't a reflection on them whatsoever. Um, what has been interesting, I suppose, in the days that has followed, um, really the floodgates opening in terms of reporting on it and Niall Collins making a statement on it uh, I think is interestingly is the political sort of response to it so you haven't really even in that sort of that 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 um, period where there wasn't really anything happening you didn't really see many politicians sort of get involved in it either so you didn't see like Sinn Féin or opposition parties touch it either because they are pretty much privy to, or they are subject to the same rules then that any other members of the public or journalists would be as well uh, but interestingly it was intra- It was of note, I think, it was, uh, yesterday it was in the Dáil, in Tuesday in the Dáil, I should say, uh, when you had members of, you know, effectively independent politicians saying that they didn't want to call Niall Collins to answer questions on this, which I do think probably doesn't do anything to dispel any sort of, you know, cosy sort of situation where, um, you know, people feel that there aren't being questions answered or that this stuff isn't being touched with the right, for the right or wrong reasons, you know? Yeah, it's, and it's been a, a very tricky one because... You, you genuinely do have people um, who will think that independent TDs are part of the conspiracy as well or genuinely think that there has been some sector-wide effort to stifle the story. And, and I've seen it been speculated that, oh, you know, because the government has lost a few TDs in the meantime over the evictions ban, that the government only has a majority of one. And like this is this is where we are, that the people think mm. that there's a majority of one and that the media have 
somehow corralled themselves in some unspoken omerta that they all want to bury the story for fear that Niall Collins might be forced to resign, that the government would lose its majority and that we're scared of that happening. And like, it's so, I, I don't even know what the words are, that it's so kind of so fantastical that people might be speculating that the media is capable of organising a sector-wide mm. conspiracy. But again, I think the people who are speculating that is, is a minority though, Gav, is it's just quite a loud minority. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's, it might be a loud minority, but it's, it's a minority which for a few days was was at you everywhere you turned yeah. on the internet, which which made for a, a difficult couple of days. But I hope that the explanation yeah. we've been able to give now has been able to at least explain to people why you're kind of stuck in this logjam where you, you can do nothing until somebody yeah. is willing to add more information to it. Uh, Richard, by the way, has had to leave. Richard is, is off to, to do his day job uh, with the GRA uh, because he's off talking to the Justice Minister, Simon Harris. Yeah. Tale of two Harris's this week yeah. um, in Westport. So that's where he's disappeared. Thank you, Richard, for joining us. We'll yeah. see you again next week. Um, we spoke last week uh, while I was in Belfast, Sarah, about mm. Fox News yes. and the difficulties that it was going to get into. That may have manifested in Fox News losing its most watched presenter. This was kind of unbelievable, wasn't it? Tucker Carlson got mm. the sack. <laughs> Did yeah. you see it coming? I don't think so. Well, because no. he's like, Tucker Carlson was paying the bills. Tucker Carlson was, was the, the most the watched presenter on Fox News. Yeah. And the point about being most watched is that then you can sell the ads and the ads yeah. are what pay your bills. But the idea that the story became so big that he became too toxic to keep, perhaps. I think so. And I think as well, I suppose, yeah, as you say, when the money was uh, going out the door, what was it, seven, what did we say, 787 million dollars? Yeah. I think there was definitely a, a moment where they sort of realised uh, this is no longer sustainable. We can't afford to, mm-hmm. to pay one of these out again. They've got other stuff coming down the road again in terms of further lawsuits. Um, it's been an interesting week in general in the States in terms of the changing landscape. I know a lot of people in Ireland might be totally familiar with Don Lemon, but also he... Uh, did he leave CNN or was he... Did he leave? Was he it's, sacked? It's real confusion. Did he jump before he was yeah. about to be pushed? Yeah. yeah he sort Very of, acrimonious, one way or another. Uh, yeah, there seems to have been that management are saying he was called to a meeting, he didn't come to the meeting. Obviously, this is totally separate to the Tucker Carlson thing. It just all happened in the one day. Yeah. So it all seems like there was a lot of um, a lot of changes. Um, in terms of Tucker Carlson, it'll be interesting to see as an individual what he'll do next. What do you think? I mean... Yeah. Pod, perhaps some podcasting maybe or <laughs> <laughs> if you're available we're, we're not Tucker sorry uh, three, three's, a, three's a chat you Thanks would imagine that he will uh, he, I couldn't imagine somebody like him being deplatformed for very long if you know which is interesting then because you know we talked last week about how and, and Richard made the very astute observation that there are some people uh, who would be supporters of the Republican Party mm. and now consider Fox to have been lost to the mainstream yeah that Fox Middle no longer gives, gives voice to the way that they see the world irrespective of how true the, their worldview might actually be. Yeah. So there, like, there is a growing market of other right-wing news outlets like uh, One American News or Newsmax. And if they're in the market and they want to make an investment in the sort of person who does bring viewers, yes. uh, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. And that in itself could then just be an interesting microcosm of what's going on in the media in America and our, our outlets that once might have seen been seen as fringe do they now have the clout where they can actually bring in a big body and pay him the big bucks because that in its, in its own way might bring in the viewers that they need to bring to the next level. And of course, all this happens on the week that Joe Biden has finally declared finally, that he's going yeah. to run again. I mean, I definitely hoped he would have done it in Ballina, to be honest. Uh, was he <laughs> we going were to all, do it I know he wasn't going to do it. Well, we spent the whole week, we've spent the whole yeah. week speculation that he might, he might but um, yeah. it's funny, I will say... Um, 
I will say that when I, a couple of the American journalists that I was chatting to in Ballina were sort of blown away by the crowds and everything that, you know, um, he had managed to bring in. And one said, God, if only he could get these crowds in America for a rally, that there was kind of a feeling <laughs> that he wouldn't, that Joe Biden wasn't really able to generate that yeah. level of interest. That he wouldn't elect people that way. Yeah, yeah. like, which is interesting. And one thing which is interesting, and again, at, at risk of sounding like we're being very ageist, like there's no getting away from the fact that one of the main concerns about his ability to run again and it's even distinct from his ability to serve a second term is his mm. ability to to wage a campaign because we like we all like they're so exhausting that they would floor a man half mm-hmm. his age he's going to be on the cusp of turning 82 yeah. at the time of the next election and it's a very just physically exhausting thing which he was able to bypass in 2020 because covid was yeah. there and he was campaigning by video link from his basement now he will be expected to do one presumes the rigors of a full coast to coast thing for weeks coming up to it and there's, there's good reasons to wonder whether a, a guy of his age can there do is. that as well as others can. But there is, but I would say, like when you look at the visit and you look at the schedule for a visit, all of that is so exhausting. Okay, it's three days or whatever. But I think like, you know, if he can manage that, I think there could be a possibility that he could push on. I mean, look, what's the alternative? Mm. <laughs> the alternative is Donald Trump. Who, who will also, great. who will be 80 or 81 by the time the election comes But that's what I'm saying. Well. Like, so yeah. it's, it's not that it's one vibrant man to another. I mean, it's it's sort of interesting to see. I mean, look, I, the only person I think that probably loses out really in, an, in a rematch of Biden and Trump is the American people. I think they don't have a great, like there's not a broad spectrum to choose from there. No, and I suppose this is the downfall of the two-party system that you, and you how think is that it if... actually while we're on this now, right? Just like, okay, I suppose on. now that we're in right. the weeds of this, right? Group I would say, this is kind of, yeah, this is unscripted. <laughs> and I, but again, you're Mr. Politics. I'm just so um, curious as to how Kamala Harris never sort of made it through or never broke through yeah. and became the standout star from this presidency. Because there, it was striking when Joe Biden was running in 2020 Ordinarily, the the campaign is always framed as the the Biden White House will do this. The yes. Biden campaign says this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was remarkable how many times he got uh, Kamala Harris's name into it. It was the uh, Biden Harris administration will do this. Tale of three Harrises, in fact, <laughs> <Less> <laughs> not even Harris just two. The show that's, the, that's the episode name yeah. for this week. Tale of three Harrises. Um, so it was remarkable that immediately it was already being framed as it was almost a joint ticket, that it wasn't, yeah. I'm the president and this is my number two. There was this sense that she was really going to be an active participant. Like I almost thought when, like remember she walked out to that Mary J. Blige song, Work It, a tune by the way, everyone looked that up on your Spotify. And when she walked out to the song, there was this real moment of hope where I was like, I feel like she'd nearly take over two years mm. in and it's going to be huge. And and, and the, the thing that people almost remember from the victory being called is the, we did it, Joe. Yeah, totally. We, like very much a participant in the whole thing. Yeah. It seemed like from, the, from day one that her kind of return to Washington was a, a tad misfiring like I remember it being observed that the um, the home which is set aside for the vice president to work out of and to live in mm-hmm. in, in Washington it's in the observatory circle just a, in Embassy Row just to the northwest of Washington um, that it needed renovation for a couple of months and that she was living um, out of a hotel or out of some other building and that she just kind of wasn't able to find her feet and um, I suppose if those first kind of hundred days or the way in which you kind of set the tone are crucial where yeah. if you're sort of being dragged aside, you're not able to, to function at the best of your abilities when the culture of the administration is being set and you become a little bit of a bystander, that you're never mm-hmm. as much of an active participant as you might ought to be. So there might have been this aspiration that, well, if Kamala Harris is at Joe Biden's side for four years, mm. that she is the next obvious torchbearer. Totally. Just never seemed to come together. But also to be, you know, female and be on the ticket. And I just, you know, I suppose it was kind of something that definitely we would have hoped or would have thought would have come mm. to pass and just really hasn't Which then, it, which they, maybe to close it off then becomes very interesting because if we wonder whether Joe Biden will be capable of doing the full coast to coast rigours, how much of a surrogate for him will mm. she be? 
in the course of a campaign? Will she be able to cover as much ground as Donald Trump and his prospective running mate, presumably not Mike Pence, uh, will be able to do? Uh, And how much of a role do they end up happening? It'll be very interesting to see how much of the baton she has to carry for him and then whether she'll be held to account for not being a more active participant in the regime as it is. Yeah, well, we're out of time. We are. Enjoy time flies when you're having unscripted group chat. Fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we lost Richard there towards the end, but I enjoyed this week. He did. No, he had yeah. He has to go and do the day job, but certainly we'll see him again. Yeah, really appreciate the Stardust families coming in as well. That, that inquest is going to run for the next um, six months. So, you know, it'll be an interesting one to follow if you're if you're a news junkie like ourselves and you want to kind of keep across it. Um, there's going to be, like I say, the pen... Uh, the pen portraits will run until the middle of May and then the mm. evidence will begin then uh, into the middle of May and onwards. So it's going to be one to watch very closely, but it's an historic, certainly, occasion. Um, yeah. And something, no doubt, we'll be covering extensively. Absolutely. On the bottom, so do do stay tuned. Separate to all that, uh, just a big thank you to everyone who works on the podcast again this absolutely. week. As always. Uh, Maxine, Ross, Rory, the team in the gallery. Um, well, Alvaro this week is working on the podcast with Richard. His camera is in, in the West Ireland. Um, and also just to say, look, get in touch. Don't be afraid to let us know if there's things you want us to talk about. We love hearing from you, don't we? we Absolutely, yeah, do get in touch. Sarah News, News Chambers, Gav Riley, all the social channels, yeah. uh, do get in touch and let us know what you'd like to hear. Yeah, that's us. Uh, thank you, Zara. Thank you. Thanks to everyone in the gallery. Thank you for watching <laughs> and listening. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.